0: Take your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14. My dad, you know, was talking earlier about how he wasn't supposed to be here today and how he couldn't come back and just say, oh, you guys have studied so much and I'm just going to preach anyway. Well, I don't guess he knew, but the Rangers had a double header yesterday. <laughs> I watched them all day long, so really my study has not been that impressive. Um, so... I mean, it was pretty much the two best teams in the American League playing, and uh, I watched that. So, <laughs> amen. We hope the Lord will inspire me this morning. Luke chapter 14, and we'll start in verse 15. Uh, we'll go ahead and read. The Bible says, And one, one of them sat at meat with him, heard these things. He said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him A certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden come for all things are now ready And they all with one accord uh, with one consent began to make excuse The first said unto him I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it I pray thee have me excused And another said I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor, and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, we praise your name that we can be in your house this morning. It's a privilege that so often we... Uh, Forget to thank you for, but Lord, there are people all around this world that don't have this opportunity. So, Lord, we thank you for placing us under the Word, uh, under your preached Word this morning. Now, Lord, we know that we're in the right church. We know we've heard the right kind of singing. Now, Lord, I pray that the right kind of preaching would be here, and that your Holy Spirit would fall mightily, mightily upon this congregation. It's in your Son's name. I do pray. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd sure like to sit down and have a meal with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as high as my aspirations of that would be, I think it would be a tremendous event. But I think things could possibly get a little awkward. I mean, if if we read the entire chapter here, this is a very awkward supper that's taking place. The, the chief Pharisee has asked the Lord Jesus Christ into his house and now he's sitting at his table and already, uh, as you know what the Pharisees believe about healing on the Sabbath day, the Lord has already taken a man and he said, do you believe that it's okay to heal a man on the Sabbath day? And none of them said anything because they didn't believe it was right. And the Lord takes a man with a dropsy and heals him right in front of him. So there's one strike against the Lord. He's already done something right in front of this man that's invited him to his house that he doesn't believe in. And now, uh, then earlier, uh, the Lord sees what's going on. He sees that this man has invited several men that are of higher statute. You know, they have money, they're wealthy, they're famous. and, And the Lord looks at him and says, I see what you're doing. When you ask people to supper, you're just asking people to supper so that they'll give you a supper in the future. You're just trying to top the last guy. And so don't do that. He says, you need to you need to bring somebody in that can't pay you back for this. And so there's two strikes against the Lord. He's saying, what you're doing is stupid. Yeah, right. And then the Lord goes on. And, and it's awkward. And that's why in that first verse there, in verse 15, we see that guy. And he sees it's getting really awkward. And there's a lot of tension in the room. So what he decides to do is... Drop a religious cliche. And he says, Oh, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Really? I mean, really? The guy's just, just, everything's awkward. This is really creepy. I mean, we got this religious figure here. And we're all men of the law. And so he just says, you know, blessed is the guy that's going to eat supper in heaven. And so the Lord takes a look at this guy. And he pretty much, for the third strike, just goes on to say, "You know what? You guys are rejecting my supper." I remember one time my dad and I went up to Colorado, and we were my dad was preaching in his service uh, at this church, and and one night he was, and then they had the Lord's Supper that night, and so our belief is that. the the Lord's Supper was given to the local church, just like baptism, and so we don't practice the Lord's Supper with other churches, even though they might be extremely close in belief. It doesn't matter. We just feel, uh, this is my conviction, and my dad's conviction as well, that, you know, the Lord's Supper is a, a local church ordinance, and so it ought to be performed in the local church setting. Well, so we're not in our local church. We're up in Colorado, in Cortez, Colorado, and and the Lord's Supper comes around. And this man that's serving the Lord's Supper, we know extremely well. And they pass the, the, the bread and they pass the grape juice. And, and my dad and I just take the tray and hand it on down. And so this man obviously saw what was going on and what we had done. And the next night they had invited us to supper. And so we go to supper and my dad didn't want them to think that we were like, you know, Pharisees or any type of judgmental spirit towards them. And so while we're at supper, my dad just says, you know, uh, Steve, last night you were the usher and you were handing out the elements in the Lord's Supper. And and you you, you saw us pass them down the line and we just want to let you know that it wasn't against y'all. We know your pastor is a little different than us on that. But we believe that uh, it's a local church ordinance. And he began to explain to them why we did what we did. And I'm not lying to you. The wife of Steve says, that's stupid. (laughs) And like, it was like somebody just hit me in the face with a shovel because this is, you know, he's giving them Bible. He's explaining it as suave as a preacher can explain it, you know. And she's like, you're a moron. She says, that's stupid. I like the way we do it way better. <laughs> Talk about an awkward moment at supper. I was like, <laughs> the wrath of Wolfenbogga shall be upon this woman. And everything just got really weird, and, and, and we know these people really well. In fact, they're really close friends of ours, and yet it was just like, you're an idiot for what you believe, and it was so funny. But you know what? That's what's happening with these guys right here. I mean, they believe this stuff. I mean, they believe it's not right till on the Sabbath day. They think they're doing a service to their friends by having them over and having meals with them, and yet... And yet the Lord looks straight at their face and says, what you do is stupid. I wonder what the Lord would say to us if he said at supper with us. I mean, I'm not exactly sure, but I wonder if as we began to describe to him how busy we were with other things and how, how we spend so much time other places. I wonder if he would look at you and just say, that is Ridiculous. You mean to tell me there's people dying in this world that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and you are you're spending your weekends at the lake? That's retarded. That's what the Lord might say. So as we look at feasting with the master this morning, how tremendous of a thing that might be. Let's look at the awkwardness of the moment. And first of all, let's just take a look at the Lord's dinner here in verse 16. In verse 16, the Bible says, Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. First of all, I want to look at the gracious invitation of this supper. I mean, this man has put on a meal. He has gone out and he's killed some cows in his herd. He's, he's gone out and harvested these vegetables. And it was a great cost to this man to put this on. And now as... He's so excited about it. He's, he's worked hard. He's got the house cleaned for this event. You, you go on to see the, just the grace that it took for this man to offer this to his friends. You know what the Lord offered us was tremendously beautiful. You see, everyone in this room today, I would hope, has taken time and accepted the Lord's gracious gift of salvation. In fact, I think so many times we look at salvation so often and we hear the word that we just forget the beauty of it, the wonder of it, the, the, the splendor of salvation. You know, when I was in college, my freshman year, it's a little bit of a culture shock when you move out of your parents' house to college and... You're in control of all your finances and you do everything and your laundry and stuff, which is lame. <laughs> but one of the biggest things, I went out there and I I'll be honest, I think I had almost three thousand dollars in my checking account that I could I had no income, but that was three thousand dollars to live off of for a semester, which almost pays an entire semester of college, so hopefully I'd be able to survive off that. About midway through the semester, I go to jack-in-the-box. And I swipe my card, and it don't work. And I'm like, somebody has hacked my identity. (laughs) This is terrible. I felt a lot like I did this morning when somebody jacked my golf clubs, amen? It's just, man, now they're going to have all my credit card, all my, this is terrible. Well, I go back, I call my dad, dad. You're not going to believe this. Somebody has jacked into my credit card. And now they're, they're spending money on it. Well, he looks at... He goes to the bank and he gets a printout of everything that I've spent. And it's like, Taco Bell, Taco Bell, Wingstop, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, Wingstop. He's like, have you spent $739 at Jack in the Box? Seems a little high. <laughs> you know, in college, you can't supersize it every time. Every, every once in a while, you need to have a night on ramen noodle, amen? But not me, man. I was living the high life. I was going down to Outback. Yeah, I'll take three steaks for my buddies and three for me. You know, it was just. And then I guess I just never really appreciated what my parents were doing for me when they would take me out and get me a meal. I just didn't understand that a nine dollar meal, seven times a week, adds up. But see, it wasn't costing me as a teenager. What did salvation cost us? Absolutely nothing. And see, that's the beauty of salvation, and that's the thing that makes us so, so happy about salvation. But you know the problem with that is? It didn't cost us anything. We neglect to appreciate things that do not cost us a single cent. Right, amen. My friend, what happened on Calvary? I remember as Christ went into the garden and He told His disciples to stay. And the Bible says He went a little further and He falls down on His face before God. And, and He says, Lord. I don't want to drink this cup. Lord, uh, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, my will, but thy will be done. He says, uh, it's going to cost me a great price. This is really going to affect me. And I do not want to do it, but I will go the entire way to Calvary. And if it's your will for this world that may not appreciate it, I will die on that cross. Amen. Right. See, that's why we can't forget to thank Him for it. That's why we can't forget to appreciate just how gracious of an invitation it was when he said, you know what, Andrew Wolfenbarger, you may be ugly, you may be lost in your sin, but I accept you as you are. I am inviting you to partake in this cross. My friend, don't forget about the splendor of the cross. It was free. It didn't cost us a single cent. And just like the men in this story, they, they just neglected. It didn't cost them anything, so it wasn't hard for them to turn it down. Oh, my friend, salvation is tremendous. It's beautiful. When you, you began to think about how the Lord didn't have to do what He did. And if He had not done it, we would be lost. There would be no way to Him. You say, oh, we keep the law. No, the law is just a schoolmaster to bring us into the fact that we know we are sinners. There is no way to heaven but through Christ. The Bible says, there is none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. There is no way. And it didn't cost us a single cent when He died. But my friend, it cost the Lord a great price. Do not forget how gracious of an invitation salvation is to you. Oh, but you can't look at the Lord's dinner and, and the gracious invitation without looking at the great insult of these men. We see right here in verse 18. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. Yes. Whew. So this man, I assume, and, and you can read your Bible however you want to, but I think this man is a little wealthier. And he goes out and he, uh, he goes out and he kills his cow. he goes out and he harvests the vegetables, and, and he's had his servants cleaning his home, and he, he's had his servants cooking the meal, and, and everything is set and prepped for this event. And now he sends this one servant out to come and get these folks just to say, "Hey, the dinner's ready. You're coming. Come on, it's, it's now time to eat." And they all with one consent began to make excuse, the Bible says. Now, what do you think that told this man that had worked so hard on the meal? What do you think that said to a man that spent so much time and so much effort and so much money on the meal, when they all just began to make excuse? It told him that it wasn't important to them. I mean, it was... By their actions, they were saying, What I have to do is more important than dining with you, my friend. Yes. Let me ask you this What do we tell Christ when we choose things over his work? Amen. When we make excuses about whatever, we, we, we just begin to tell him, You know what, Lord, I love you. You're still my friend, you're still my Lord. But, I have to do this. And see, the invitation of salvation is so magnificent. But what do we do when we slap Him in the face and just say, Your work, what you've done for me, all of it's not that important. I will live for myself today. Don't insult the Lord. The Bible says, what, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. You see, my friend, when you got saved, you accepted some responsibilities. The responsibility to live a holy life, to to be an example to those around you. And not only that, to be an evangelist for the Lord. We cannot tell the Lord that this salvation that He's given to us, the grace, the the sacrifice on the cross, we cannot tell Him by our actions. We would never say, oh Lord, it's just not that important. But we tell Him that every time we choose something over His work. Over the advancement of the kingdom of Christ, when we choose to say no to evangelism, and we choose to say no to soul winning, we choose to say no to a daily walk in the Word, we choose to say no to those things, and we say, Lord, it's just not that important to me. We just slap the Lord in the face and say, you're not worth it. I love how David describes the Lord, and he's. Lord, you're my rock, you're my high tower, you're, you're the buckler, you're my shield. And he just goes on to say, you're beautiful, you're altogether lovely. Uh, my soul thirsteth for you as, as, as the rope thirsteth for the water. My friends, the Lord is beautiful, the Lord is magnificent. And as Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, he is wonderful. Amen. Don't tell him he's not worth it. We're not worth it. We were not worth what he did. We were not worth the price he paid. Paul, the greatest Christian in the entire Bible, as I read, many would disagree with that, but I just think that he's the greatest Christian of the New Testament. And he says, I am the chiefest of sinners. If you're the chiefest of sinners, I don't want to see what I am, Paul. We were not worth it. We're not lovely. We were not beautiful. And yet the Lord saw a value in us. Don't tell the Lord His work is not worth it. There's nothing on this earth that will last in eternity. Save the kingdom of Christ. That's the Lord's dinner. But not only do we see the Lord's dinner, we see the Lord's disgust. And and as we look at this, this is really His reaction to the men. I see in verse 21 how the Bible says, Servant came and showed the Lord these things, then the master of the house being angry. Why did he get angry? Well, first of all, there was the flat responses of the men. I mean, what you have to understand is, these men had already agreed to attend the supper. Bid means to go and get them and bring them back. The dictionary defines it as a command. I mean, the servant was going out to tell the men, it's ready, come on. Yeah. Okay, so the invitation to this dinner, and this is very uh, this is very common in this day, the invitation to the feast, very much like an RSVP, would be sent out several days before, and so the, the master of the feast would know how many to prepare for. And so they had already accepted that. And yet as we look at the story and we read the story, they accept it just a few days before. That's the response that he's angry at. The response is not, oh, I have something to do. Well, you should have said that days ago. That was the response he's angry at. Well, why did you tell me you were going to come? I have all this meat. I have all this food. Why did you tell me you were going to come and you did not? But I look at our lives, and, and don't we respond to our Lord a little similar? Amen. Amen. I mean, like I said earlier, when we were saved, I mean, we, we don't use this in our evangelistic approach, right? We, we approach, we don't say, the Lord said that you can be saved. He also said that you're no longer your own. And He also said that from now on, you're going to have to be a witness for Him. and you're gonna, We don't tell people about that. We don't tell people about the future in Christianity, the the life of holiness, the life of trying to serve Him with everything that we are. We don't necessarily tell that in our evangelistic approach, right? But it's accepted when you become a Christian and you understand what the Lord's done for you. You understand that there are some requirements and restrictions now placed upon your life. Just like uh, we witness to somebody who's a smoker and they say, well, I, I just haven't been able to quit this habit of smoking. And, and I remember hearing a testimony of someone the other day. They said, I, w- I couldn't get saved because I cuss. Well, me too. So, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they said, I, I was putting off getting saved because I'm a cusser. But... In that person's mind, although they may have never read, Be ye holy, for I am holy. They understood once they were saved, there had to be a change. Yeah. Yeah. That was the thing that kept them from being saved, is that they, they just weren't willing to take that next step, and they didn't want to be a fake Christian, and I appreciate that. But the fact of the matter remains, when we're saved, we accept a future lifestyle. Yeah. We accept the invitation knowing that there will be a future commitment. And see, these men accepted the invitation, but weren't willing to commit to the appearance. And see, what's so sad about it is, we respond to our Lord like that all the time. There's no doubt in my mind that there are men in this room that have been called to preach. How can the Word of God be preached like it is every week in this church and yet the Lord not speak to someone's heart and just say, the life you're living uh, in this secular society and trying to make money, that's not worth it. Become a preacher for me. Proclaim my truth. You're telling me that never happens in our church? And as men are called to preach, they're not responding because they don't, they've accepted the invitation to salvation, but they don't want to commit to the future of it. We've accepted the the invitation of this beautiful, easy salvation. But it's just not worth it to quit that habit. This is ridiculous, folks. The Lord saved us and called us. He did not save us and let us go wander like lost sheep. He is a shepherd. He guides and directs our lives. The Bible says He's a good shepherd. And it makes the example of how he would leave 99 sheep just to find the one lost one, to bring them back to the fold so that he can direct them and lead their life. Are you kidding me? We're going to tell that God no? We're going to tell him he's not worth it? We're going to, we're going to accept his invitation to salvation and then just say, the life you're wanting me to live is not quite what I want to do. We're no different than these men. We're no different than the, the, the callous rejection. Of the invitation to this supper. How sad it is that people in this room would clearly be spoken to by the Word of God and not respond at this altar. I'm talking, it is ruining our churches. And I could take off the suffix of that. It is ruining our church. You see, I did not spend hours upon hours studying and praying so that you could sit in the altar. So that you could sit in your pew. I spent hours praying and I spent hours studying, begging the Lord that people would make a a reaction, that they would make a commitment to Him because of this sermon. Otherwise, I'm just up here to be funny. Otherwise, I'm just up here to yell a little bit. But that is not the reason I preach. The reason I preach is to move you to a decision. And we accept the invitation to salvation and yet are too callous, too prideful to say, Lord, you're worth it and walk down the aisle just so we might not be embarrassed in front of our friends, in front of our companions. No, this is where decisions are made. I've never made a decision for the Lord that did not happen down here. What's the last time you hit this altar in prayer? I can't, I can't tell you how sad it is to see my dad up here preaching and, and uh, just, just fighting the devil every chance he can and then see the altar empty. That's not the Pentecost church. That's not the upper room type of church. The Holy Spirit can't work in a building of hard hearts. Every Sunday you ought to come to church saying, Lord, how can I be affected? How can you speak to me? I beg you, speak to me. Otherwise, it's all a show. Don't accept the invitation without accepting the commitment. Without changing your life, without being better than you were yesterday. So not only is there a flat response that angers the master, but then he gets so angry at the false excuses. D.L. Moody said, an excuse is just a reason wrapped up in a lie. And it's so true as we can take a look at these men. And and in verse 18, we see the excuse of possessions. The man says, "Uh, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go see it. He says, I bought land. I don't think they had internet back then. So he buys land. How stupid would it be to buy land on the internet? We go land searching from time to time out towards our ranch. And and every piece of property looks great in pictures. In four pictures, you can make anything look good. You get out there, it's just terrible. And so this man says... I've bought ground, I've bought property, but I need to go look at it and inspect it. Either this man is the worst investor, or he's the worst liar. But, here's the good thing about it. He's spiritual about it. He says, I pray thee, have me excused. As long as we're spiritual about our fake lying excuses, it's okay. So we see the excuse of possessions, and then in verse 19, we see the excuse of pursuits. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. Once again, who buys cows without looking at them? He goes and he says, I mean, surely this man is, (laughs) my dad says, if you have more than five cows, you're a cattle rancher. If you have less than five cows, you're just cattle barren. And so surely this man is not just cattle baron. I I think he knows a little bit more than just to go look at cows uh, or buy cows just off of what a guy says. But once again, he's spiritual about it. And he says, I pray thee as much as it pains me to say this, as much as it rubs me wrong, have me excused. And then this is my favorite. And if anybody has a real reason, it's this guy. The excuse of people. And another said, I have married a wife and cannot come. He doesn't even try being spiritual about it. That's what I love. Everybody else is like, oh, Lord, it's so rough on me. And then this guy says, I got a wife. (laughs) How funny is that? He just says, cannot come because my wife. But you see what's wrong with all three of these? Is each one of them took a little planning to do them. For instance, a man gets married, he's not eloping in Israel. I don't think Jerusalem is very similar to Las Vegas at all. So he's not, I mean, he didn't just meet this woman and and three to five days later get married. So that's a lie. Then he goes on, the other guy with the land, it takes a long time to purchase property, even in our society, but more so in Israel. where this would be taking place. And so, that's a lie. And then the other man, I bought five cows and I need to go look at them. Surely he understood it. It's a stupid idea to, to purchase something without looking at it, especially when it comes to livestock. You see, they're all lies. And that's exactly what excuses are. There's no way around it. And now, all of them to these men made great sense. I mean... They all thought that they were good ideas, not to mention that each and every one of them were at the end of the day. I mean, this is supper time. And so it's towards the end of the day, and this man's going to go look at land he's never seen. This man's going to go inspect cattle he's never seen. This man's getting married in the evening. It just doesn't add up. And so you take a look at these excuses, and they're just pathetic. That these men would, this guy has gone through so much sacrifice, so much effort, and yet they just say, I've got a wife, I've got to go look at land, I've got to buy cows. But that's exactly what we do. Possessions, pursuits, and people are the three reasons we stay out of the Lord's work. Oh, well, I have to earn another dollar. I have to make an, an occupational advancement. I am trying my hardest to, to be a good employee to my boss so that maybe one day I can be a better employee, that I can be a good boss to someone. No! That is pursuits. Yeah. Possessions is, uh, I'm. Uh, we got this RV and we got to use it, and so we go out to the lake every once in a while. No, that's possessions. And people, I don't care. Like I said, our teenagers, women, uh, uh, girlfriends, boyfriends, those things can't keep us out. But neither can wives or children. It does not matter your excuse. What matters is there are people that are literally dying and on their way to hell. And we're spending our time at the lake. I have no problem with hobbies. I have a bunch of them. Ask my wife. But the one less today. The fact of the matter remains, there is something more important than going on a date with my wife every Friday night. If once in a while me and her have to knock doors together, it will be okay. And if once in a while I have to go pray with one of my teenagers instead of going to the Ranger game, that will be okay. Friends, we are so enamored with working our way to that next dollar, to that next thing. Moth and dust can corrupt. And thieves can break through and steal it. Ask me how I know. But there is something more important than people, possessions, and pursuits. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Living for Him. Being everything that I can be every single day. So that somebody, maybe by the grace of my Lord Jesus, can know Him. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter how good of a backswing I have. It doesn't matter how big of a buck I shoot this year. All that matters is that somebody might be able to meet my Lord and Savior. Stop making excuses, Joshua Baptist. Stop saying my children are more important. Stop saying that. The Lord's work is important. Follow the Lord and He shall direct thy paths. He'll take care of it all. And we're no different than these men when we make flat excuses. Just false excuses. We make up these lies. We we tell ourselves, well, I have to be a good family man. No, you don't. You have to be a good godly man. That'll take care of itself. I've seen it in action. I've seen it work. You see the Lord's dinner. We see the Lord's disgust. But look thirdly at the Lord's desire. We see here that he wants his house to be full. Now, if you're this man, I mean, imagine if I know my mom goes through great lengths to prepare Christmas and Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, she will even stay out of the deer stand on Thanksgiving morning to cook turkey. Is that not right? And on Christmas, she, she lays out this great feast. I mean, because we have family members come over and she works on turkey, she works on ham, she works on all these exotic sides that were on Rachel Ray last week. <laughs> it's like, this is Heigen What? I don't know what that is. But you know how much it would affect my mom if she was expecting every one of my family And nobody showed. She would have this feast prepared. And nobody to eat it. And so this man looking at a table set. Of turkey and and beef and and all this. He says we need people to eat this. If not it's just going to go to waste. I cannot even begin to tell you how many hours my dad spends in prayer and in Bible study. It would literally freak you out if you went to my house in front of the Ranger game, his Bible's open. In front of the... Ca- no, he don't watch Cowboys no more. They're bad. In front of the Mavericks, his Bible's open. Now I go over to his house and they made my room a study. He's never in the living room anymore. He's just in the study every time I go over there. For every sermon you hear, I guarantee you 30 hours of preparation has gone into it. You may think I'm kidding. I'm not. You know what he does each week? He prepares a feast. With the Lord's help, He's in there praying and he's in there searching. You know how hard it is to outline the book of Malachi? He's in there, he's in there searching. He's in there praying. He's in there working. And he's preparing the feast. And honestly, we're getting a little fat. We listen to it each week. We, we intake what He has to say. We, we begin to appreciate it. But then, you know what? We're not the ones that really need it. I mean, sure we need direction from our pastor. Sure we need the decisions made. Absolutely. But I went door knocking yesterday and I saw people that were starving. I saw people that were quote-unquote Christian that had no church home. I saw people come to the door that I wouldn't think they'd ever stepped inside of a church and they just said, well, I'm uh, Pentecostal. These people are starving. And there are open seats all over this building. The will of the Lord is not for my dad to, to labor and prayer and study. And then the same people hear the same message every week. The will of the Lord is that fresh people that are hungry, that are starving, would come in and hear the word of the Lord, and that they can be changed dramatically through the word that's preached. And yet we sit on our knees here in this building, and each week we take it in with no attempt to bring others. We are getting fat. And there are people out there that are so thin, that are starving, that need what this man has to say. Now let me ask you, what are you going to do to change that? What are you going to do? Stop saying that the church staff will take care of it, because we can't. We're trying. What are you going to do about it? Because this has to change. We're not expanding the building. We're not trying to give you the material so that we can sit here and get fat. We need to exercise the the things that we've learned and we need to go out and and witness to people. We need to bring people. We need to get them in this building with an earshot distance of hearing the glorious gospel of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This building's too empty, my friend. And the servant comes back to the master and says, what you've done is... It has taken place, but there's still room. He says, go back out and find some more. He doesn't want this. God's will is not for empty seats to be in his home. God's will is for a sinner to be sitting right up there in the balcony. And for that man over there to preach the gospel and that at the invitation, my dad would say something to the effect of, if you're not sure you came today and you're not sure you're on your way to heaven, that that man would make a step, come down this balcony and come to this altar and that brother Jim or brother Brian or or one of you ladies could deal with the women. Somebody could show him how he can know. Because otherwise he will not. Not only... Is it the Lord's will for his house to be full? It's his will for the hurting to feast. You see, could you imagine just how easy it would be to get someone to come to a feast that was starving? Think of it. Sir, you're homeless. You have not eaten in two days. And my master prepared a feast. Long story short, he wants you to come and eat. It will be no cost to you. All you have to do is come and enjoy. I don't have to be a good salesman to tell somebody that. Think of it. Somebody's starving. They hear feast. They're running. Why do we find it so hard? to tell somebody about our Lord. Yeah. All that can happen is rejection. And we're so scared of that, that we are choosing for people to go to hell. Every once in a while, we'll be at a restaurant, and the staff usually goes to eat together, and we'll, we'll be at Antonio's, let's say, because that is our weekly homage. And I like it, so that's good. And we'll go to Antonio's and and somebody will be off at the restroom. And the waiter will come and he'll say, can I take your drink order? It was a terrible Mexican accent. I know, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'll work on it for next time. He says, can I take your drink order? Well, if it's me at the restroom, you're safe to, to tell them what drink I want. And if I ever eat with you, you can tell them what drink I want. It is Dr. Pepper with no ice. Dr. Pepper off the rocks is how I say it. <laughs> Dr. Pepper and Coke hold the Coke, no rocks. That's, that's the easy way to say it. And you see, there's no doubt about what I'm going to drink every single time. Now, I've been married to my wife for about a year going just a little over a year but to this day i will not order her drink for her i will not order a drink for my mom and i will not order a drink for my dad i don't order drinks for people because they change it does not make sense to me how can one day you have a favoritist and the next day you not have a favoritist One day he'll want water. One day he'll want sweet tea with a lemon. One day he'll want it without the lemon. One day he'll want unsweet tea so he can do the sugar with a lemon. It's ridiculous. It is mayhem. One day my wife will want water. One day she'll want Mountain Dew. One day she'll want Coke or Pepsi. I found out yesterday, even though she drinks Coke all the time, she doesn't like it. How does that make sense? I'm Dr. Pepper, no ice. But these people are lunatics. I don't order for them because what if they come back and they say, You ordered a Mountain Dew for me and I wanted water? I'm going on this diet. Mountain Dew's on diets, right? You see, I don't choose for people because ultimately it's their choice. I don't choose for people because what if I get it wrong? See, every time the Lord tells us to go and tell somebody about Him and we deny that, you know what we're doing? We're telling them where to go. And one day we'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ and we'll be looking on the great white throne of judgment and we'll see those people going to hell And you'll remember that time the Lord told you to speak to that person. And you'll have to look that person in the face and you'll say, I thought it was better for you to go to hell than me to be embarrassed. That's what's going to happen, friend. Don't decide for people. We're not judges, we're messengers. All our job is to do, just like the servant in complete obedience, going to people that are hungry, that are hurting, that are starving, that are halt, that are lame, that are blind, and just say, there is a man that can fix you. There is a man that can help you. Come to this man. Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Our job is not to tell people where to go. Our job is to get people in this building to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can lift him up and magnify him and exalt him and that they can decide for themselves. I don't want to be the person that has to look someone in the face and say, look, I was too embarrassed so you can spend an eternity in hell. There was a man named Kevin Carter, who at this time in his life, he, he grew up in a nice neighborhood. He grew up in a fairly nice, uh, fairly middle-class family. Everything in his life was pretty good. He decided to become a pharmacist as they graduated college, or high school. He got to college, found out that's not what he wanted to do. He dropped out and he joined the army. This is in South Africa now, and he's in the army. He's not liking it. He decides to just really get out of the army, and he goes absent without leave. And then he goes under this alias, and he becomes a DJ. Later on, he gets his mind back right, and he is now decided after he serves his term, he's fallen in love with photography. Now this man growing up in this neighborhood and seeing the oppression of whites upon blacks, he decided that he wanted to take pictures of people that were hurting and people that were in pain so that others like us could look on his photography and that we could see the pain in that person. Now if you look towards the screens, there should be a picture coming up. Every photographer wants and begs and just yearns for that one photo. And this man, Kevin Carter, got it. he had taken a survey trip to Africa and he went to uh, this place. And as he found this picture, he just realized that it told so much. He took this picture and sold it to New York Times Magazine within the month that he took it. As he took this picture, it got rave reviews. Obviously, in your heart, you see the pain and the anguish in that young girl. He later won the Pulitzer Prize for this photograph. But as people looked at this photograph, all they could think was, what happened to the little girl? Uh, The vulture there in the background is just waiting as this girl is crunched over in hunger pains. And the thing that we don't actually see in the picture is there is a a, a food camp just out of sight. And this girl is making her way from her village to the food camp. And yet she's not strong enough to make it. And the vulture lands. To this day, we have no idea what happened to that little girl because Mr. Carter did not do anything for her. He took the picture and drove off. You know what? A certain magazine, the St. Petersburg Times wrote this about Mr. Carter's decision. The man adjusting his lens to take just the right frame of her suffering might just as well have been a predator, another vulture on the scene. Mr. Carter this day looked at this young girl, and he is no different than the predator standing behind her. Neither one of them are helping her towards food. Neither one of them are helping her get to safety. And you see what happens, friend, is when we decide for people where they're going to spend eternity, we are just another predator on the scene. And Satan sits in the background waiting to feast upon them, and we're taking pictures, and we're being friends with them, and we're being coworkers with them, and we're uh, trying to just live a life around them, and yet we are the predator. The vulture does nothing and neither do we. What are you doing? What are you doing to change the lives of sinners around you? What have you done this week, this month, this year to bring somebody to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Excuses won't matter, hobbies won't matter one day we'll be sitting before our Lord, telling Him just how little we did for Him. Do not be the predator. Do not be the vulture in the background deciding for people what they will be in eternity.